Hey there, I'm Jeremy with Good Beer Matters. First, thank you for listening to the Good Beer Matters podcast, where we explore the craft and culture of beer. Second, I want to see the beer and hospitality industries improve so we can do a better job, make more money, and so guests can have exceptional experiences. Good Beer Matters is dedicated to the pros and enthusiasts in the beer industry because we are the ones who will make it better. To that end, I want to invite you to subscribe to my monthly newsletter where I share perspectives on beer, styles, pairing, and some practical beer education. Go to goodbeermatters.net to subscribe. My name is Jeremy, and this is Good Beer Matters. Craft beer has had a wave in, in, in all the regions around the world, except for the Middle East. I'm very into, I guess you could say, the chefification of craft beer. I have the world of cultures to play with when it comes to flavors. The middle of a desert may be the last place you'd find a brewery, but it's the best place to find a drink. Except, in this desert, there's a vast mix of cultures, affluence, and a complicated relationship with alcohol. My next guest has navigated through the challenges to create a brewery with a taste of the Middle East. We find great experiences at the intersection of craft and culture. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. For the craft and culture of beer, this is episode 125 of Good Beer Matters with Chad McGeehee of Side Hustle Brews. Hey, so today we get to virtually, uh, keyword there is virtually, travel across the world into a culture that uh, I don't have very much experience with. Um, my best understanding is alcohol and this culture have not historically gotten along all that well, uh, to put it, uh, you know, euphemistic, euphemistically, let's try and sing that five times fast. Uh, I'm sure it gets better after a beer. Um, but, uh, Chad, uh, welcome to the good beer matters podcast. I can't wait to dive into your story and your location and just really learn the culture of where you are and what you're doing. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, First things first, will you please just introduce yourself and tell us, uh, uh, you know, who are you, what do you do, and what's your background in beer? Uh, so my name is Chad McGeehy. Um, I'm the founder, owner of, of a, well, one of a group of owners of Side Hustle Brews and Spirits. Uh, we are the first craft alcohol brand to launch in Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates. Uh, I'm originally from a small town south of New Orleans. Most of my partners are from the U.S., uh, but I've been an expat for about 19 years now. So I've lived uh, across the world, South Asia. Uh, I spent two years in Nigeria. And then I spent the last uh, about 12 years in the UAE uh, across uh, Abu Dhabi and Dubai. So um, mostly, mostly, you know, overseas, my adult life. Um, and it's just, you know, I started Side Hustle in 2018, 19, uh, end of 18, early 19, just as a way for me and my friends to uh, get better beer. Uh, so if you look at the timeline of that, there's certain styles of beer that were just really blowing up in America, just getting into Europe and mm -hmm. we're not, you know, being sent to the Middle East for various reasons. And yeah. uh, we got tired of paying, you know, $20 for a Heineken when the rest of the world's paying six bucks for hazy IPAs and pastry stouts and 
you know, everything else that people were, were really getting into. So we were, you know, told we were having a, um, a meeting about the other company, another company we were starting. And I was like, hey, why don't we just bolt on a brewery to it? Like, we got to figure out a way to, to get beer here. Uh, and I'm sure if we could do it in a proper way, then people would enjoy it. Uh, worst case, we get we get better beer. So um, our first batches of beer, the goal was very simple. Make the freshest beer we could possibly make uh, and get it in the country. So we were we were air freighting everything uh, from about six hours after it was packaged. It was at the airport. Uh, and then it was flown in. And then, you know, first hazy IPA ever to hit the country, something that fresh, it just took off. And the company's been going very well. We've grown, um, we've doubled every every year over the last four years. Uh, and we're now available in 36 countries, I think it is. So it's, uh, we've become very much a, an expat and international focused brewery uh, on the back of being aggravated that we were overpaying for international lager. Interesting. Well, you you just wonderfully just laid out the entire overview of everything we're going to talk about. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to go through and start kind of picking some of that story apart a little bit. First of all, how did you end up be becoming an expat and 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 being a world traveler? Um, so I graduated from LSU in 2005. Uh, LSU has a couple of programs that are world renowned. One of which is internal auditing. Uh, I, I graduated from that program. Went to work at IBM. Uh, after a brief stint, went to American Express in Manhattan, and then I uh, got a call back from IBM saying like, hey, we have an, a job opening in Asia. We need to put some Americans uh, on the auditing team. Would you be willing to go? Uh, yes. So pack my bag. <laughs> um, I moved uh, that October of 2007 and haven't looked back. So my first four years, uh, I literally traveled around South Asia between India and New Zealand. Um, every month I was in a different country. I had two bags. Uh, and I never went home. So it was kind of a, it was a, called a hundred percent travel job. Uh, we didn't have a house. We just went country to country, city to city uh, for four years. And it was, uh, it was quite an experience, um, but you do get burnout. So then uh, at the end of being burnout, I was offered another role within IBM to go and help open 17 offices in Africa. So they're like, Hey, we have a, we have a job. I said, can I have one house? Said, yes, you can have one house. I was like, all right, where is it? It's Nigeria. So it's like, do you want to go visit? It's like, nah, let's just go to Nigeria. Um, so we moved to moved to Lagos, and then um, you know it was, it was also a very unique, good experience. And as I look back on it, there's a a lot of the, the what we do now with beer and what we've learned about production and shipping and all that was informed by my stint in Lagos and watching the shipping industry and like how everything it goes through in a country like that. And then how do you have to manage logistics? So um, then at the end of uh, a couple of years in Nigeria, my wife got a job in Abu Dhabi. Uh, and, you know, after bringing her to Nigeria, I told her, you get to pick any country in the world you want to go to and we'll, we'll travel. So she got Abu Dhabi, IBM moved me here. Uh, I was here about 10 years with them and then um, decided that, hey, IT services is no longer for me. Let's open a distillery and a brewery and uh, focus on the Middle East, which was a bunch of things that nobody's ever done before. So uh, everybody looked at me like I was crazy. But, you know, four years later, it's starting to work out. And uh we think we, we kind of hit a wave, you know, every craft beers had a wave in, in, in all the regions around the world, except for the Middle East. Uh, and we like to think that we're starting to push that wave here. Um, you know, like some of the, the breweries in Thailand and Vietnam have, are doing in Asia, um, you know, like all the big guys that have done in the U.S. And then and also the, the breweries that shall not be named in the, in the U.K. and the rest of Europe as well. <clears throat> Uh, I, again, you've given me so many openings for questions. I, I'm struggling to uh, figure out where to go. But uh, uh, I, so you've traveled all through Asia, Africa, now the Middle East. 
And can I fairly assume that you've been a beer drinker through all of it? Not really. Not really. <laughs> you know, okay. it's pretty funny. I, I tell, I, I often tell people here, um, in the, in the UAE beer is very, until recently, beer is very expensive. Um, and when I got here, it was a, um, you know, you find the liquor store because that's what everybody does when something is sort of restricted. I mean, it wasn't really restricted, but as long as you were an expat, you can get a license, you can go to the store, you can buy whatever you want. But um, we didn't know where the stores were. Go again, get a couple of cases of beer. When we finally find them, uh, they both expired in my house. So it was just like it wasn't, it was there, drinking every now and then. It wasn't really a big thing. I'm much more of a, a whiskey spirits kind of guy. Um, but then over time, the more we traveled, especially back to the States, like over that period between 2011 kind of to now, you know, the, the beer itself has changed a lot. Um, and then started getting more and more and more into it. Um, and then, but it really, for me, took off probably around 2016. Um, and I mean, look, at the end of the day in Africa, there's three beers. So it wasn't, you know, you have Tusker out of Kenya, you have Star out of Nigeria, you have Heineken, uh, you have Guinness. So there was a few, you know, a few things at the time, but even now Lagos has, has craft brewery. So it's, um, I think even Africa has that wave. So it's just kind of, uh, over time kind of built up, but different flavor profiles. Uh, I'm very into, um, I guess you could say the chefification of craft beer, like looking at yeah different yeah, hops as ingredients and and building recipes and doing that kind of stuff so i do a lot of the recipe building for for our company um even though the, our brewers are far more experienced than me at this um and then we we kind of just look at what is the latest and greatest ingredient and we try to make sure that we can bring them bring them to the middle east so it's uh it's a fun adventure but i yeah i would say 2016 ish 2015 was when i i became more of a, a beer drinker than a spirits guy well, I want to circle back around to what you just said, but uh, but even though you weren't a, a devout beer person necessarily, but you've traveled a bit, you're now in the beer world, and 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 you can look back on on your experiences and some of the things you had, whether it's beer or whiskey or whatever yeah. uh, you've had while you were there. Um, I'm I'm just really curious about the you know uh, offline. You and I had a brief conversation, <clears throat> excuse me, and I talked about how. From my point of view, from my perspective, it looks like beer culture is kind of an international culture in and of itself, but then it branches out into its own specific um, avenues. What did you notice that was the same and what was uh, uh, distinctly different between the, the, the beer and drink culture from all the places that you've lived throughout the world? So I think that most of the, the timing of my travels... Um if I look back on it and I look at those same countries, you look at New Zealand and, and everything that they're doing with craft beer, same thing with Australia, Hong Kong. I mean, as I said, Vietnam, Thailand, like all of these places have craft breweries and they're doing great things. Now, when I was living in those countries, that was not the case. So at that point, I found that global beer culture really revolved around what we kind of talk about as American lager. Even though it wasn't American, it could be European, but it's the big macro beers is what kind of at that time everybody was doing. And I think as kind of globalization, the internet, everything, people started talking a lot more online and then you had the forums and you had everything else. It just kind of exploded across the world. And now you can go anywhere in New Zealand and get, you know, an American IPA, but not only just an American IPA style, but with American hops. Whereas, you know, 15 years ago when I was living in New Zealand, there was not the case. Like you had craft brewers, you had small guys. Like um, I remember I, I met some guys at a restaurant who were chatting just, you know, how do you live? Where do you go? What do you do? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Hey, do you like beer? I was like, yeah, I'll have a beer. 
It's coming to my sailboat. He had a brewery on his sailboat, like just a little homebrew setup. He was, and I was like, well, what are you doing? He's like, well, I took two years off of school between before I started a job, and I'm just brewing beer, traveling around New Zealand, and I just dock and when I need ingredients. And, uh, you know, then I, I make some new beer, and I travel to the next city. And, I mean, so he's just floating around two islands for two years and making beer, drinking beer. So, like, that to me was really cool. And then, you know, it's one of those things you always keep in the back pocket when, it, you know, you're, you're starting to, hey, what should we do? How do we get something unique? You know, like, well, just look at another place for ingredients and those kind of things. So, I think the globalization, like, it really has expanded in the last, like, 10, 15 years in this industry. Um, hops, particularly. Yeast is even getting, now you can get, you know, West Coast yeast, like, from uh, Berkeley. You can get them in Europe. You can get some of the Chicago yeast. You can get those in Europe. So, it's like, everything is getting, it's going, I think it's going back to what you were talking about. I think before, it was pretty much international lagers everywhere. And with their own little unique beers they were brewing. And then you have the huge wave in America. And then everybody else is starting to, to do their waves. I think the UK has probably had the same wave as America. They're roughly in the same period. Way too many breweries for the size size location it is. You're starting to see kind of consolidation. Uh, rest of Europe is still kind of chugging along. And then you get like South Africa is blowing up. Um, Vietnam's blowing up. Thailand's blowing up. Like all these places. But when you go there, what are they brewing with? Citra, Mosaic, you know, Nelson. So <laughs> it's, it's all the same stuff that everybody else has. Uh, yeah. And now I think it's starting to come back to one culture around the world. Like you start to see all the styles and then you see somebody throw in, you know, a little twist of their home culture into it, uh, which is, you know, where you get to be that, that very unique and have the spinoff that you discussed. Yeah. And I, I do see signs of, of uh, some breweries trying to find a, create a sense of place once again, whether it's through like a craft maltster um, mm -hmm. or, or getting, getting some experimental hops that, you know, cause they have a good relationship with the hop grower or, or whatever that may be. But, um, or maybe it's just taking all these ingredients that we have available to us. You, you use the word chefification, which I really love, but you know, I think about a chef, um, most restaurants are getting the same produce either from the farmer's market or from the food distributor, but what they do with it is what makes yeah. that restaurant really uniquely stand out. And I think that's, that's kind of where we're going with this. We're trying to find um, the best ingredients, whether at the, the the brewer's version of the farmer's market or just, you know, the, the general uh, uh, food distributor or uh, um, ingredient distributor, but it's how we manifest it. But again, I want to circle back around to this, uh, but help me understand. Um, I've never been to the UAE. Uh, I've never been to Abu Dhabi. Uh, I've honestly, I'm just going to, call it duck a duck. I don't know much about it to be, to be frank. Will you paint the picture for us? Uh, tell us about the, the geographic and the culture, uh, around that area. Hey there, it's me, Jeremy again. I forgot to mention that I also have a podcast with my dear friend, the incredible Julia hers together. We've created the sense of beer style podcast. It's the essential training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. We created episodes to cover foundational beer knowledge, as well as style cast to walk you through each category of the 2021 BJCP Beer Style Guidelines. If you work with beer as part of your job, then subscribe and listen so you can become an authority. Go to senseofbeerstyle.com to subscribe. I mean, look, I live in a lot of places. Um, this is the most international place that I've ever been to. I mean, people talk about New York, they talk about London, um, but there's a very high percentage of locals that live in those two cities. 
uh, in the UAE, you're looking at 20% of the people are from the country, 80% are from somewhere else. So you have this massive internationalization of a city. Um, you have a bunch of people who are looking at the culture of the country and, and moving and buying in before they even get here, right? So it's, uh, I think it's, it's very unique. There's not the squibbles and squabbles that you're seeing around the rest of the world. Um, people come in, they, they build new families, meaning friends, but you know what I mean? When you're eight to 14 hours away from your, your real family, the people you live with overseas become your family. Like it's a, it's a expat culture is a bit different and unique in its own, in its own self. Um, but in this country, yeah, I mean, look, what people see from the outside about the UAE is really, it's kind of like what it is. I mean, it's a country that says, you know, they, they run it with a mindset for the future, um, but they respect the past. And they also respect everybody else's culture whenever they come in. So, I mean, there's a there's a new construction um, zone in Abu Dhabi. Uh, it's almost being built. It might even be finished now. But you know, it's like the cultural district. So you have a Louvre hotel, uh, Louvre museum being built. You have a Guggenheim being uh, the Louvre's open. You have a Guggenheim being built. Uh, and then just across the street from the Guggenheim, you have a, a worship complex, which has an Arabic uh, mosque, uh, a Jewish synagogue, and a, and a Christian church all in the same area with they share the same parking lot and they have a park that after service they can all just go to the park and see each other and meet each other so it's a, oh, it's a push by the exactly i mean it's in the middle of the middle east so it's a to me that's kind of mind-blowing but it is kind of that encapsulates the rest of the culture here so no matter where you go what you do can you get a taste of home generally like especially with food like we can get anything from anywhere in the world because almost everything up until recently was imported so but it's it's becoming its own kind of thing uh, well, at the same time, everyone who comes here, whether they're an expat or a visitor, they expect what we call the ist, the biggest, fastest, strongest, longest, shortest, tiniest, ex most expensive. Like this is a country that wants the best and they want to show that the best is attainable um, whenever you bring in people from all over the world. So, I mean, the last time I looked it up, there are people from 117, 120 countries here. Uh, and it's, you know, overall population, 10 million. So it's very small and it's it's a lot of people from a lot of different places in a very small place that you're eating together, drinking together, going to school together, working together. So it's um, the cross-culturalization, you do that exchange often on a daily basis and you're learning and something so, new every day. And so there is a lot of interaction between and across cultures as opposed to in other places like, you know, here in the U.S. where this culture, they just kind of, this is, this is our neighborhood and, that, and that's your neighborhood. Uh, is is there quite a bit of cross-culturalization there? Yeah, I mean, I would say very much so. Because again, you, you you can't avoid it here. The, the population is too small and like everybody's works together. Your kids go to school together. You know, I mean, my kid plays Little League and you, you look at his team and he's got people from seven different countries on his team. Um, and, and so you, you're spending four days a week with all of these families and you can't help but become friends. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's definitely a mix now. Look, at the end of the day on the weekends, like where people go, Yes, there are still pockets um, based on there are some countries where they go, but I would say that's more of the exception than the than the rule here. Well, with with that many cultures, that many religions, that many holidays, that many uh, you know beliefs and observances and all that sort of stuff, um, uh, talk to me about uh, the role that alcohol plays in that in that uh, you know that melting pot. We usually use the word melting pot for America. It sounds like this is a bigger melting pot. Yeah, I mean, look, so it's a, uh, a very weird statistic, and it's probably outdated now. But a few years ago, there was a World Health uh, Organization study that said people in the UAE 
drink twice as much as the US, the UK, South Africa, and Australia. Um, so there is a, alcohol is a big part of it. Uh, it is a different drinking culture. Um, I'm going to blame both of that statistic on the Brits, by the way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's, we have a, there's a brunch culture. There's a ladies night culture. I mean, the F and B and the F I will say, uh, industry is the food industry here is very big. So you have a lot of the more famous chefs in the world have restaurants here. Um, for obvious reasons, they can come here and build opulent restaurants and charge a fortune and people will go whether they're on holiday or, you know, live here or whatever. Um, the beverage industry is getting bigger. Um, we have a lot of the world renowned mixologists here. Um, but, but for over time, we hadn't really had any beer. So it's, um, you might have a hundred different beers when you walk into the store, but they're really, they're five beers. Like they all taste the same. Yeah. Um, you're getting the basic, you get the basic lager from every country. So that's why the number is so high. But whether you're from the Philippines, Thailand, China, U.S., you know, Europe, South Africa, your lager's here. Um, and that's kind of the way it goes. But I mean, every Friday until recently, but recently they moved the weekends to Saturday, Sunday. So it's uh, now it's on Saturdays. It's uh, the brunch culture, which is you can go to any any restaurant in the country, uh, pretty much, uh, you know, high end, low end, doesn't matter. And it's all you can eat, all you can drink for four or five hours. Um, and then after that, it's the after parties. And I mean. At the end of the day, it is still an expat culture. So like at home, you may go out for a brunch, like in the U.S. when I'm home, you go out to brunch and then you go home. But here it's mostly younger people, I would say. Um, maybe they have families, maybe they have kids, maybe they don't. But it's the weekend's party time, um, especially in the winter uh, when we have fantastic weather. It's unrivaled in the world. The winter in the UAE is pretty one of the best places you could be. Um, mm. Summer is a totally different story, though. <laughs> so it's, yeah, uh, you, I you can only imagine. <laughs> for it but yeah so it's it's there um i mean the locals can drink it's which is so we get a lot of questions uh often uh, about these kind of things and it, you used to have to have an alcohol license to purchase alcohol as a, as a resident um as a citizen you could not uh recently that that has changed um at least in abu dhabi there's no licenses required uh locals can purchase if they would like to purchase the government says hey it's up to you you know what i mean it's your it's between you and your and your God. How how do you look at things and how you want to drink or not drink? Um, Dubai is still a little bit different. You still need to have a license in Dubai, but the process is very. I mean, you can walk in with your ID, pay a fee. Ten minutes later, you have a license, so it's not a it's not a big deal. Um, is that yeah, license still, per year or forever? It's per year. It's renewable. Um, but again, for, to renew it, you just have to bring your old one, pay the New Year's fee. Um, then you end up getting some vouchers for discounts on booze so you can uh, get your money back. But no, you have, you have alcohol stores in, every, in almost every neighborhood. Um, you know, there's in Dubai, there's two, two importers, two distributors, same companies um, that have their branded shops. In Abu Dhabi, there's about 10, I believe. So you can get anything from just a small little beer and wine store to a full-blown superstore. Uh, there's a, a store about an hour and a half Hour, hour and a half from my house that is, um, I mean, it's massive. It's like a Walmart of alcohol. You have thousands and thousands of products and everything everywhere in the country. Um, you know, I think they have like 10,000 wines or something in their store. Like it's crazy. So it does that include a, beer as well. Yeah. They have a bunch of beers, but like, yeah, they would, they would historically have had the best craft beer selection. Um, but we can get into why that most of the beers here, it's not, they're not, they're not handled properly. So yeah. craft beer has to be handled in a certain way to be good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I would imagine, I haven't had all these beers in their home country, but I would imagine it tastes way better. But at least in the store, you can get 
12 different beers, 15 from Australia. You can get 20 or 30 from the UK. You, you know what I mean? Like you can get a, a big variety. Um, by and large, not the brands that Americans would know. Uh, it's, but, you know, you're not getting cloud water here from the UK. You're getting yeah. a bunch of the other, the other larger kind of craft breweries. Well, I, I just worry about uh, beer shipments in the summertime. Uh, I can only hope that they're in refrigerated trucks, but the, you know, if it's, if it's as hot as I imagine is, then, you know, that's only going to go so far and then, and then most likely sit on warm shelves if there's that much in a single store. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure yeah, there are some it's... issues with freshness. There are some issues. Um, some of the things you described, the in the store is not an issue because it is. I mean, air conditioning is very prevalent here. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, the the trucks is an issue. Um, shipping is probably the biggest issue. Yeah, interesting. Well, uh, yeah. let's let's talk about what you're doing. Tell me about uh, side hustle. Yeah, I mean, you're you're creating spirits. You're creating a beer. Uh, are is side hustle the first craft brewery in Abu Dhabi? Not. Well, there's no breweries here at this time um, okay. because it's, you know, it's not legal to have, especially production breweries, but we, we market ourselves as the first craft brand because we, we did start the brand okay. here. Um, we do lean in heavily into to being an expat and what we do. And the way that I tell people is we built the brand specifically to ship beer here. So I don't know of another American production company that is like, we produced in America for three years before we sold anything into the U.S. Um, because we were adamant that we wanted the beer to only be available in the UAE. Um, and so everything we produced was shipped here. All of our processes were designed around having the ship here and knowing that it could be in a container for five months, uh, five weeks, sorry, or it could be nine weeks because we did have a container that just randomly got dropped off in India for some reason. Uh, and then they had to, had to pick it up. So the way that we process, the way that we package, the way that we ship, it's all met for that expat, uh, the long journey. And then also we do tweak our recipes for that as well. So shelf life, shelf stability is very important to me being a consumer here. Yeah. Uh, and everything we do is kind of to, to dial that, to dial that in. Um, but yeah, I started the brand, as I said, just like, basically I wanted a hazy IPA, couldn't get one. The easiest way was to start a brewery. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, I, I, there, so, there are some people that might disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, it took me five months. Um, so yeah, five months from start to, to having the first shipment here, which was, was really cool. Um, I partnered with a, a very experienced brewer out of the U S uh, Wayne used to be one of the head brewers at dogfish. He now has his own brewery. Um, so he and I partnered on this brand. We were like, Hey, let's see how far we can take it. Making some really good beer. Uh, they said we used to air freight everything cold. So our first four shipments, we air freighted everything, lost a ton of money. Um, <laughs> but we showed the, the we showed the country. Again, it's an ist country, biggest, best, yeah. fastest. We showed them what the freshest beer possible would taste like. It was three days between the time it left the brewery and the time it was on the shelf. So that's just unheard of here. And it sold out in 24 hours every time we did a shipment. So then we slowly had to get into to sea freighting. Um, and we are, to my knowledge, the only brand that ships cold into the Middle East. So every other brand ships with blankets. They do they do different things, but it's um, we're adamant we ship cold. Uh, we get a lot of conditioning on the way. I like to, to tell people. Um, but at the same time, we're very focused on the cultural aspect of it. Because for us, we don't produce here, but we're trying to tell everybody we're local. Um, and that is a, a fine line that you have to you have to walk. And you do it by really leaning into the local culture, making that your, your brand culture, and then also absorbing the cultures of the other 117 to 120 countries that, that live here. Um, and that's really been kind of our focus. So... Like one of the things I do, you touched on it earlier, like getting local ingredients 
and local yeah, yeah, yeah. like terroir, right? So when we started, we were like, hey, we want we want a beer that is incredibly unique that no other brewery that's selling beer to this region can make if they even wanted to. So we went and found like a very small mom and pop hops farm in Michigan that was doing growing a unique hop that was developed in Michigan. And we, we've, you know, we tested a few of them. I was like, Hey, this Mackinac hops, I really like it. It's pineapple flavor. It's kind of unique. It's orange. It's, it's papaya. Our flagship beer is now that made with that hop and has been the same acre of the same farm for four years. Wow. Um, and so, so we were the first brewery to export that hop. Uh, we continue to do so. It's become like an incredible um, product for us. We were able to get it onto Etihad Airways. So we're the, the first craft brand to get onto a Middle Eastern airline. Uh, we also use that hop in our gin. We use it in our non-alcoholic. I use it in barbecue sauces. I mean, we use it all over the world because it's unique. There's only a couple hundred, probably a couple hundred acres of that hop in, in existence. And um, so while the other guys in Australia that are shipping here can get Citra Mosaic, they're not getting Mackinac or Michelin Copper. You know what I mean? So we try to, yeah. to try to do that point of it. Um, but at the same time, we try to bring in some of the UAE back into the beer. So once a year, we do a beer, um, which is our like a, a barrel-aged stout, uh, where we bring in local ingredients. So I'll literally load up my suitcases with 100 pounds of dates and uh, coffee that's roasted here or go to the spice market and get saffron and tea and different things. And we'll bring it back to the U.S. and brew and then ship the beer back. Um, and that beer, I generally try to cram in ingredients from as many countries as possible into one beer. Uh, our last iteration, we had 13 countries in that beer. Um, so we call it logistical nightmare. So every year it's, uh, <laughs> that's what it is. And it's usually aged in two different barrels and blended. It's just the most complicated damn thing you can do. And we sell 200 bottles. Like that's it. So it's a very limited, it's pre-sold before it arrives. And like, that's kind of how it goes. But well, it's and one I would... of those things we do for the expats. And I would imagine that probably is the cheapest way to get all those ingredients there is just for you to buy a ticket and, and do that long ride home. And, exactly, and visit. because I want to be home to brew it anyway. So um, yeah. in the first two years when we were open, I flew back every time we did packaging because that's when the problems are going to occur. Yeah. And if there's somebody that wants to work 24 hours a day on something like that, uh, it's the owner of the company. <laughs> it's yeah. not going to be the contract production team. They're not going to put in the effort that you don't expect them to. Yeah. Um, but now it's starting to go back. I'm starting to leave that. We've, we've kind of nailed that portion. So now I'm going back and bring ingredients and helping to make the beers and, and doing that kind of stuff. So, uh, so what has been, uh, so obviously it, it's, it's work because, you know, it, it sounds like it's been selling really well, uh, just kind of pulling a couple different, mm -hmm. uh, side comments you made, but, uh, but let's just lean into a little bit. Uh, how was everything received as far as, I mean, you're, you're talking about um, hops, right? I think you said Michigan, right? Yeah. Uh, and then ultimate, so we're not getting a, a true taste of, of Abu Dhabi until you bring all those ingredients back with you to brew with them and then bring, ship everything back. So now we're getting a taste of it. What has been the response to this, this kind of a, a quote unquote local beer? Initially, people thought we we're joking. I mean, I don't know. I don't have a can here. We have, um, I mean, the camels, our logo, we have them on yeah. the cans. Uh, it is a kitschy thing that a lot of companies try to do when they, when they come out to the Middle East. Um, but I think from us talking to, to locals that, that enjoy our product, um, and by locals, I mean, citizens of the country, um, you know, they, they read the story and they're like, wow, they're serious. Like, this is not mocking us. You know what I mean? Like, they're doing it out of respect. Um, I mean, for us, there's a couple of, of things that are off limits uh, when it comes to beer that we won't talk about, we won't put on a can, we won't put in our advertising or anything. Uh, camels seem to be okay. Falcons, you know, moons, these other kind of sensitive symbols, we don't 
we stay away from because again, we respect the culture, but for this one, it was, it was something that stood out for us. Um, initially we wanted it to be the, I mean, it is a symbol for the rest of the world of the Middle East. And mm-hmm. we wanted this beer to be known as a Middle Eastern product, even though we were not producing here. Um, so yeah, it was received very well. I mean, initially it was just flavor. Like people were just wild that you can get a beer that tastes because I said, most of them are shipped hot. They're yeah. sitting in warm, warm, warmish warehouses. They're sitting in hot retail stores overnight. And then you put it in your fridge. I mean, it's skunked at the end of the day before you even drink it. So just getting freshness, people were wild. They were like, yeah, but it's expensive. And then I started telling them it's cheaper here than in America, even though we're shipping around the world cold. There's 50% import taxes, 30% alcohol taxes, VAT. So it became like a, a big deal. And like, well, why do you sell it so cheap? I'm like, because I have to drink it. And that's the weirdest part about the whole thing is if I want my own beer, I have to go to the retail store and buy it. And so it's like, it's not like I could just go to the brewery and get a, get a keg or get a, get a 12 pack. You know, it doesn't work that way. So you think, you think, you uh, know, a guy. <laughs> yeah, but it's, uh, you know, it's a very expensive import license. So I let them, uh, let them make their money. Interesting. Um, well, it, you know, I did, uh, take a look at your website and everything else too, just doing as much research as I could. And, and, and the the camel icon that you put on there seems to be done tastefully. And you're not making a caricature out of it, like Joe Camel or anything's kind of silly. Uh, but it is an icon that that I can't speak for everyone around the world. But when I think of the Middle East, I'm thinking sand. I'm thinking uh, the you know what I know about the cultures. I'm thinking camels. I'm thinking dates. And and so it uh, it, it is it is just. Uh, it seems like it could be a stereotype unless it's not. Um, yeah. But- and I don't, I don't think it is. And I mean, one of the things that we've done, um, we did it one time on beer. So all of our beer cans have the same labels. Um, all of our spirits bottles have the same labels. Um, and then we just changed kind of the colors and the, the location of different things, but mm. the beer cans are all like identical. And then the camels kind of act out scenes and, but all those scenes that they're acting out are, are things that people who live here interact with on a daily basis. So people started to really catch on to that and they can see the um, kind of the inside joke that we're putting into it. And then when they realize that, hey, we're taking that inside joke and we're, you know, you can get it in the the Himalayas, you can get it in Brazil. Now you can get it in Djibouti, you can get it in Tunisia. And they're like, well, they're exporting kind of what we're doing on a daily basis. And like, I would say most of our beers, our American customers have no idea what those names mean. Like, because it's just, it's not part of their everyday. Like if they go to their local yeah. brewery, they'll know what those names mean. They're probably in on most of the jokes. They probably yeah. at the brewery when the joke happened. And and so what we try to do with all of our names is kind of the same thing, right? Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the things we did early on was, I mean, when we launched, you had Trillium, you had Treehouse, you had um, other half, all these guys, Weldworks making the big hazy IPAs and they're all like super pale yellow. Um, we went the other way. We made ours dark orangish red, red. And that was on purpose because we went and got a malt mix to make the beer look like the Abu Dhabi desert. Uh, and it was called sandstorm. And we made sure that we matched the color of the beer to the color of the sand. Cause I wanted people to start picking up on what we were doing and how we're trying to be local. Um, and then one of the things we did once we kind of switched over and did spirits, um, there's something here called the camel beauty pageant. So every year, uh, camels, like people raise camels from around the, the region. They trek in with all their camels and they go to the, the, very huge dunes in, in Abu Dhabi, um, just a little ways from where Star Wars was filmed. And they literally have a beauty pageant. The winner gets five to $10 million for the most oh, beautiful wow. camel. So we, we took all the attributes of a beautiful camel and we had an artist um, draw them 
And then that now is on all of our spirits bottles because we, and when people see it locally, they know exactly why we did it and what we're doing. And they can see the long eyelashes and they can see the, the shape of the hump with the fur. And they know like all the aspects of how do you win the money is on that bottle. So it's just, again, like we can't make it here, but we're going to make it as local as we can without doing. And so, so that, that's the, uh, the aesthetics that you're trying to yeah. connect with people there. Uh, what about the flavor? Let's talk about the flavor. Um, you mentioned you're, you're making the color of your hazy to kind of, um, mm-hmm. kind of connect to, uh, the sandstorms and the sand and everything there. So you, you're kind of giving the color sense of place. Uh, and you, you already mentioned taking some of those, uh, ingredients, flying back home to where it's being brewed and then shipping it back. Uh, but let's talk about those flavors and the flavor profiles and how and how that's uh, connecting to the food culture down there down there as well. Yeah. So one of the, okay. So with the flavor, one of the things I mentioned earlier is, um, as I said, 117 to 120 different countries people live here. Yeah. So I have I have the world of cultures to play with when it comes to flavors. So we try to release beers from different countries, like each each quarter. So we've done um, we've done a Czech pills. Uh, we've done our Japanese rice lager. We've done um, German uh, German pills. We've done Irish stout. And one of the things that we do whenever I bring in the new beers, so about a week before I allow the distributors to put them on the shelves, is I get those beers in the hands of that, that community. So whether it's the Japanese community, the Czech community, and I have them try it. And I have them tell me if it tastes like home or not. And if it doesn't, then like I don't advertise it as that kind of culture. But the way that we brew and the way that we work with, so our German, our German pilsner, um, a German lager, all the ingredients are from Germany. The Japanese rice lager, we tried to, to, to be true to what a Japanese rice lager is, but then give a little bit, what do you call the expat twist, whereas we bring in hops from America, from Germany, and from Czech Republic into the Japanese beer. Um, so we try to bring in, we have all the cultures to play with, we try to bring them all in. Uh, when it comes to the local stuff, uh, it's typically going to be fruit that we play off of, uh, fruit flavors, because it's a big part of, of the food culture here. Uh, mangoes specifically is very big here. Mangoes and patch fruit are like massive. So we'll have, um, once a year, we'll have a mango festival and you can get, you can go to any store and get like 60 different mangoes. Um, so we try to, we have a lot of beers that play off that. If we do fruited IPAs and things, for sure, we get those mangoes in there, the passion fruit in there. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, I try to just go like to each culture. So we have a, we have a big contingent of subcontinent, like Indian uh, um, customers. So we work with them and we're like, hey, let's take some of the, the beers that are popular in India, you know, the, the Belgian-ish wheat beers, but let's tweak them for the UAE and for India and make them lighter and a bit more citrusy. And then like, you don't have the big, you're not drinking a loaf of bread when it's 130 degrees outside in the summer, you know what I yeah. mean? So, so we try to do that as well. So it's, we, we play with consistency, we play with flavor, uh, we play with body and bring it in, but bringing it in for specific people. And like, I have, you know, we like our Japanese rice lager is a very good example um, all the Japanese people we gave it to loved it. There's been some Europe, Europeans that are like, oh, this is not a lager. And I'm like, well, and I'm like, honestly, your opinion doesn't even matter at this point. Mm-hmm. Like it's, <laughs> I've already won with the, with the first people we tested it with. Um, you know what I mean? But like, if I'm making a German, a German beer and the Germans don't like it, then yeah, that's a, that's a big screw up on our side. Yeah. Um, so, so we're trying to be true to every individual culture and then kind of bringing it all together. And Typically, the only thing we have to tweak, as I said, is it's going to be the body. It's going to be the thickness of a beer. Um, And it just depends on we have to try to time it between, you know, ordering ingredients, production, shipping. And what is the weather going to be like here? Because 
you know, we pretty much have two options, perfect and incredibly hot. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not as hard as it seems, but that's kind of what I look at when I'm building a portfolio or building recipes. And I mean, we've released in four years, 28, 29 beers internationally. So it's, we rotate them fairly, fairly often to try to hit those, hit those marks. And so are, are you, each of these beers that you brew, are you really trying to cater to the, the, uh, for lack of better words, the based culture? Yeah. Cause that, that yeah. seems exhausting to me. It is. But at the same time, it's like the way I look at it is like, if I go to, I went to the, to the beer store and I saw what was on the shelf from America, call it craft beer, which was really two brands. Um, and they're both very big. And I was like, well, you know what? That doesn't, that's not representative of what I, what I want to drink from my home country. And so I went and made that beer. Um, and then, so I'm looking at, it, I'm like, well, these guys are experiencing the same thing. They're going in and they're like, why is the only beer that I can get from Germany, the three biggest brands? Why is the only beer I can get from Japan the two biggest brands? Like, and they're both the same beer. beer. You know what I mean? Like, there's so much diversity in every country's <clears throat> beer culture. Nobody else is bringing it to them. So we figured, hey, it's not, it's not overly complicated because at the end of the day, we have a portfolio. And the way I look at it is every quarter I try to release one international beer. Um, and then a couple of IPAs. And then depending on the season, wheat beer, stout, you know, that kind of thing. So it's, um, it's just like we pick a culture. And it's, if it gets to a point where... Like the reason we did the Czech Pilsner, because it was, it was frankly like a couple of my friends are from that area in Europe. And they just kept telling me, hey, there's only one beer here that's even worth drinking, um, which was uh, Pilsner Requel. And like, but honestly, it's not on draft and it's most of the time skunked. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, we'll ma-, and I was just like, well, we'll make you one. Don't worry about it. And we did. And we made it and enjoyed it. So it was like, you know what? It was, uh, it was here for about nine months. We put it on the international airline because we always put a lager in, a, in an IPA. And then we was like, hey, drink it while you travel and it'll be good. Uh, bring well, to your friends. And, and it seems like, uh, you know, a lot of breweries will say, well, I, I want to, I want to brew this Japanese lager or this Czech Pilsner, but we're going to, we're going to create our own culture. This is our taste. This is our take on it. And, and, and basically force the consumers to accept them or not. Uh, it sounds like you're trying to create, uh, beers that, that, um, you know, classic examples, but, uh, it, you know, satisfy that specific group rather than saying, this is who we are, love us or hate us. It's, I think we're trying to walk the line between the, the two things you just said. Like for example, okay. in our Japanese lager, we use a totally different mix of hops than they would ever use. But, but the rest of the, the recipe, the rest of the recipe was pretty on point. The process was on point. And then we said, Hey, we're going to try to expat it a little bit. We're going to tweak it just a little bit. Um, the same thing with the, the check, the check pills very basic check recipe check process slightly little tweak at the end we threw in some lemon drop hops uh, for a couple of days on a dry hop just to give it a little bit of citrus kick because again i'm trying to people are trying to drink it in 140 degree heat they're not drinking it in the summer in europe so there are little tweaks that we do to make it here but we want yeah, it here okay. for them you know what i mean it's not here for me it's here for them so if i like it it's one thing but if they like it that means something you know so it's that's kind of the way that i the way that i look at it for each one of those particular beers like and I that, had a and that's fair because they're the ones who are paying money for it. So it's perfect. Exactly. And I mean, like for our German lager, we, we did it and it's, it, it's fine beer. But at the time we released two, what I would say is exceptional IPAs. Like we really tweaked the science on, behind both of them and made some really exceptional beers at that point. And I went to a barbecue with a couple of German guys and like they, neither one of them would drink it after one sip, the IPAs. But then I opened the German Pilsner and he drank a 12 pack. 
So I was like, hey, well, that means I did it right. You know what I mean? Like, he, you hate the frou-frou American beers, but like, you'll drink the German one, then we did it. We did a good thing. Yeah. Oh, and that's fair. You know, that yeah. if that, that's almost like, so you have, uh, you're coming from Louisiana, graduated college, you're traveling the world, you are a truly a resident of the world. And so you've learned to uh, probably speak languages, speak cultures, but now you're speaking flavor uh, as as a, a fluent language is kind of what it seems to me. Yeah, I would say I can speak flavor better than any other language, but yeah. <laughs> <It's>, uh... <laughs> but but it's still a language. Yeah. And, no, and, it is. And, it is. It's, and trying to reach language. out to uh, in, you know individual cultures and say, hey, I I, I get you. Here's let, let's communicate through through flavor. Yeah, and and it's a good way to do it here because like you can go to the markets and there's you know hundreds of spices and teas and anything you can imagine that you can just go and weigh and bag up. I mean, it's like it is like the. Um, like the old TV shows and old movies when you go to the spice markets here, like that's what it is. Uh, a couple of years ago, we did a beer festival, like the first craft beer festival in the Middle East. And we brought in nine brewers from the US and I made sure to take them to the spice markets. It blew their mind. And then all of them left with like bags and bags of spices to go back home and brew beers with Middle Eastern flavors, whether that would be saffron saisons or we had some milk. Um, there's a very famous milk tea here and people tried to replicate that into beers. So it's, it's been a, you know, it's both, it's a both way thing. It's, it's yeah, not just cool. taking, it's also giving back. Um, so, uh, if a traveler, if I, or anyone else were to come to, uh, where you are in Abu Dhabi, uh, anywhere in the UAE, what can they expect from, you know, coming uh, to ultimately your, your pub, having a beer and, and having a variety of food available to them? What kind of experience, uh, would you describe it? Yeah, so it's a food-led experience here. Um, I'm sorry, it it's a food is, what? Yeah, it's a food-led experience. Okay, food-led. So so if you're coming in and you're, you're like, hey, I want to go get a drink, uh, okay, you can have you can go get your high-end cocktails. There's incredible mixology that's happening here. Uh, when it comes to beer, not so much. So when you, when you go into most of the bars, um, and we're trying to change that, but most of the bars are going to get six to ten taps. And there will be all beers that you know about. Uh, Abu Dhabi is changing a, a bit faster than the rest of the region. Um, so now that used to be the case two years ago, 10 taps, all the same 10 beers every bar. Uh, now you're starting to see, you know, we're in a few bars on draft, uh, growing every month. Uh, we just launched our last our draft program about nine months ago. Um, there's a few craft German bar beers that are coming in. You're starting to get some craft ciders in. So, you know, those, those 10, 12 tap bars are now 15, 16 tap bars. So you, mm -hmm. you still get the 10 big guys, but now they're starting to add a few taps for us and, and for the other, for the other guys. So that's a good, a good thing. Um, but when it comes to food, there's anything you could ever want in the world is here. So whether it's incredibly high end sushi, that's flown in daily from Japan or American style barbecue, or, you know, soon Cajun food, there's an opening a Cajun restaurant in Abu Dhabi. So oh, uh, wow. it would be very authentic. So, and it's, um, I mean, we're involved in kind of that design and, and opening. So it's, it's Cajun lead, craft beer, heavy, um, craft whiskey. So it's a, it's a very, uh, it'll be very unique for the region. But we hope that, again, once restaurateurs see that it works, they copy it and then they can kind of do it in their, in their place. Because I think there's a, there's a fear here uh, to move and change first because everything is so expensive. Mm. Like restaurant rent, restaurant rent here is out of control. Like you're talking four, five, six hundred thousand dollars a year in rent. Jeez. So it's it's um, at that point they say, hey, this works. People will buy, you know, 
a keg of Heineken a day, we're going to sell Heineken. Yeah. So I was like, well, you know what? You put any other international lager in there, they're going to buy that keg a day because that's how many people come in. You know what I mean? It's not, nobody's clamoring and coming to your doorstep for Heineken. But yeah, so you can you can get that. Uh, Dubai is a little bit different. Dubai, I would say, is, again, much more diverse on food. You have more options. Uh, when it comes to alcohol, much more on the mixology side, wine side. Uh, mixology, probably the best way, the best place to drink or ways to drink. Wine would be second. Beer, to me, in Dubai is very low. Um, there's some specific structural reasons for that, but it's very macro heavy, um, probably more so than any other country in the world. Um, well, what about the the distribution process? Uh, is it fairly democratized, where you know smaller can find you know space to or taps, uh, or are they getting squeezed out by the larger, uh, more um, investment heavy breweries? Yeah, it's a it's a very weird it's a very weird place. So it's almost impossible to distribute here, um, mostly because of the logistics and the shelf life shelf stability kind of concerns that the distributors have. Um, the population is still kind of, even though it's very international, they travel a lot, like back home, they might drink craft beer here. They just don't trust it because they get so much bad product that, um, the distributors are wary. So that was, we got over that hump early, but getting over that hump was because we were here. You know what I mean? Like I was in their office every day, every tasting I was personally at. I mean, even mm -hmm. today, I mean, the first two years, I think I met every single one of our customers personally. Yeah. Um, so it was a very small operation. <laughs> like we're still small, but it was very small then. Um, there's about 10 importers in, in Abu Dhabi. There's two in Dubai. Um, the Dubai ones are, you know, one of them has a joint venture with Heineken. The other is owned by Budweiser, literally. So your chances of getting in there, you might be more successful than we are. Um, but it's, it's, it's difficult. Abu Dhabi, again, because it's more, there's more competition. They are looking for that thing, but you got to really understand. Um, I think you'd have to approach things thinking of how a distributor thinks more so than you would in the US. You know what I mean? Because like you're not going to sell a container of beer to this random distributor that has four stores in Abu Dhabi. So he'll never go through that container in a year. Yeah. Um, you got to then find out who his consolidator is in your home country and try to get your pallet of beer into that container or your half pallet of beer at a time and kind of grow it. Um, we got and, around and that. Is it, and is it worth it? Is it? Is it worth all that headache and cost just for exactly. a small amount of beer? Um, I would say if you don't have a tie into a place like this, then no, I mean, it doesn't, but like, like for us, for example, like we're now in 35 countries and, but they're very, and again, our distribution in those countries is very specific. It ties to the brand and the, the culture that we're building. We're targeting expats in all those countries. So we're in embassies, we're in consulates, we're in military bases, we're at airports. So we're not on your local liquor store in uh, Tunisia or in, in Lagos, but if you go to the American embassy, you can get some of our beer, um, because we we've, we've generally first given them our beer here. And as they travel, they're like, Hey, how do we get this? I'm like, we'll find a way. Like that's been kind of our mantra from day one is like, say yes first and then find a way. And as yeah. long as we don't lose money, we do it. And it's, it's kind of, we stumbled and we fell because I don't have a beverage background, but like, you know, I have a customer background. I just wanted it to drink and I wanted it to be good. And we do what we can to get to that. You know, the funny thing is you're not only are you not the first guest on the good beer matters podcast that, um, that wanted to find good beer in a, in a place that was hard, that made it difficult to find good beer. Uh, so their solution was to just go start a brewery, go start a brand and, and do that. Um, uh, so, uh, apparently there's something to that. <laughs> um, 
to kind of start winding down a little bit, you know, big question I want to ask you because you've been around the world. You're you're obviously very heavily invested into this, the the beer culture, the the, the culture culture. Uh, but you have a, a viewpoint from around the world looking at it. But how do you define uh, and and create a really good beer experience? Hmm. I mean, for me, I guess, just given where we're at and, and where I've been, I mean, to me, it's all about, it's about freshness and getting an intention. So like, I want our beer to, to taste as we intend. So if we write something on the can or the bottle, like, and you taste it, that it, you have to be able to taste it. And, and I know that the beer is going to sit on the shelf six, seven, eight, maybe nine months, and you have to be able to taste it throughout that period. So to me, it's, it's all about like getting that part right. And then you get that part right. And once people start to enjoy it, then you can focus on the rest of it, which is kind of the, the aesthetics, the experience. But what we do, um, because again, like when we started it, we told ourselves, we're like, hey, we can't just start a beer brand. We have to build the craft drinking culture here. Because as I said, like you go, it's 10 macro beers and that's what you get. And we're doing it. We, we did it in a country because another advantage for being here is we can't advertise at all. So the, the marketing spent or market, like the marketing spend that we had to do in the first two years was zero. Like we could not do it. But what it meant was I had to be very much face to face. As I said, I met all of our customers personally. We did it with bottle shares and beer shares and doing beer tastings and hosting a festival or partnering with a chef and doing Which is a beer effective, pairing but menu. Time consuming. <laughs> incredibly time consuming. I mean, I was doing beer tastings at various restaurants, like back to back to back every two weeks. But it, I mean, when I say various restaurants, I mean, I can walk into like one of the top 50 restaurants in the world, meet the chef and be like, hey, let's do a beer pairing. And he's like, hell yeah, let's do it. And two weeks later, we have an absolutely incredible meal paired with craft beer that I would never be able to do if I started this brewery in America. Like it just mm -hmm. it wouldn't happen. You couldn't walk into the Four Seasons, talk to their head chef and like get get a perfect menu after literally like five sips of beer. Yeah, and, there, so and um, beer programs in places like that are are you know they have usual suspects, and it's all about the wine and the cocktails anyway. So exactly, but then at the next week we're at you know Black Tap doing a beer pairing with bar food and burgers, and then a Mexican restaurant. We did one with uh, we were working on one now with a um, a Japanese ramen restaurant. So it's kind of just building experiences. To me, it's about people are familiar with food culture, and they're they're familiar with with enjoying food with people and doing all of that here, especially diverse. So I want to just tap into that. And once you can just say, Hey, beer also works with this, right? Yeah. Um, then they're hooked because they can't tell you, Oh, I don't like it. I don't like this, this, you know, drinking culture when, Hey, you just, it's not a drink culture. It's a food culture. You, you're, you're bought into the food thing. I'm just adding one extra ingredient to it. Yeah. Um, and, and then, so it's, to me, it's been a, that's been the most effective way. And, and really the only way we were able to market for like three years. Well, and, and I, I do understand from a restaurant point of view, it's like, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather sell wine and spirits than beer because I'm going to make more money, but, yeah. but consumers are going to spend less money with a, a fancy meal and, and beer, but you know, more people drink beer around the world than anything else. So it's, it's going to connect with people, even though you're, you're not going to make quite as much than if you sold a hundred dollar bottle of wine, but, uh, but you're going to connect people more. And that, that's just a theory I've been working on, but it, it seems pretty sound thus far. And it sounds like you're confirming that. Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, the other thing is it's a unique experience. I mean, how many places in the world offer wine tastings right? and with food pairings, like almost any restaurant that has meat, you like, Oh, do you want the prepared wine with it? 
Yeah. But when you walk in and we tell people, hey, we're going to this, you know, Michelin level restaurant and we're going to pair craft beer with the same food and show you how that works together. It, and what? you're having, you know, <laughs> double IPAs with, with dessert and it blows their mind. And these kind yeah. of events we were doing it, they sell out in 24 hours. Like that's just because it's unique. If I were to do the same thing with wine, it would take, like, I don't even think it would sell out. Um, spirits, if I'm doing scotch, because we, we're also involved in the spirit side of it. The bourbon events, those things, again, unique here, boom, people love it. They want uniqueness. That's what I think people want. Um, nowadays, particularly after COVID, I think people are wanting more experience and uniqueness in that experience. And then, you know, the, the, the same old, same old stuff is, is going away. You know, you spend a couple of years at your house <laughs> just seeing your family, yeah. the same old, it's like, Hey, I want to, I want to get something different. <laughs> I, I love you, but I need to go. I need to go look at a different face. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, I'm going to kind of start, uh, winding this down officially now. Uh, uh, so the, the questions I ask every guest is, uh, if I could make you the king of the beer world for one day, uh, starting tomorrow, you could be king of the entire beer world. What, what would you change? What's the first thing you would change? Beer. I would make everybody ship cold. End to end cold chain, because I think we're cheating customers and we don't do it. And it's not very expensive. People tell you it's very expensive. It's not very expensive. It's 30 cents a can. And wow. I think every customer in the world for fresh beer would pay 30 cents. Uh, yeah, they, they wouldn't <laughs> even know. Well, if we're paying, used to pay four bucks a beer, now it's six bucks a beer. It's like, you know, as, as long as it's good, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll pay an extra quarter. Uh, exactly. yeah, that's a good one. Um, so at the end of that day of being the Royal Highness of, uh, of beer, you get to go anywhere in the world uh, to have a meal and a beer. And, and you've probably already done this. Where would you go and what would you have? You know, I've been, uh, me and my team, we've been talking about doing, going to this place a lot. Cause I've not been, I've not been to Europe on any beer adventures. So um, it would either be Pilsen um, just to see the history and to, to really try those beers fresh or Belgium. I think um, the beer culture in Belgium, I think is, is very, um, you know, it's, it's kind of what we're pushing to be, not to make Belgian beers, but the way that they do it and they're very local and they're very unique and everybody has their own, their own style and every beer is made in a certain way. I think I'd, so I'd say probably one of those two. Interesting. Yeah. So what would you yeah. eat and drink? Uh, well, either one of those places would be a lot of pork, I think. Because <laughs> <laughs> and... again, when you take it away from somebody, that's all they crave. So yeah, that's yeah. kind of what it would be. Yeah, yeah fair enough. Um, so uh, another big question, why does good beer matter so much to you? I mean, like, to me, it's just, it's, it's not hard. Like, and I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not trying to downplay it and talk bad about anybody else, but like making beer is not hard. Um, you got, you just got to care. And to me, I think when people care and, and they put their best into it, it becomes good beer. You can and tell. the fact that like, yeah. And I've traveled around the world and I've drinking a lot of bad beer. And once I figured out how to make beer and then I'm like, wait a minute, this is not that hard. And I'm like, it's before you think it's like, a, you know, it's a behind the magic curtain and there's all this crazy things that people do. And there is, and that will make a great beer right there is exceptional and great beer that people are doing shit that I could never imagine. But to make a good beer, that'll just make somebody that'll blend into the event that they're doing to blend into their day and make it just a little bit better. Um, it just, you just got to care just about what you're doing and have a little bit of pride in it. And so I just think it's, it should be like the starting point should be good beer. I don't think it should be, 
any such thing as bad beer. You know, it's the same thing with uh, certain restaurant dishes. Like, I mean, again, stupid one, but like French fries, the easiest damn thing in the world to make. Why do we have bad French fries? Like, it's because That's the person really making it just point. doesn't care. You know what I mean? Like, they That's don't a care. really good point. So it was, um, that's kind of the way I look at it. I, I love it. That, and, and I've never heard that, and, uh, that's, uh, said so eloquently before. It's like, th- there's no excuse for going anywhere and having bad French fries. I can make yeah. better French fries at my home, uh, tonight. Easy. So there's no, we should never, ever, ever have bad French fries. Same thing with beer. I love that. Yeah. Um, for anyone who's, um, curious about your story, wants to find your beer, where can they go? Um, you can go to sidehustlecraft.com. That's our website. Um, or side hustle brews on Instagram. Uh, those are the two places to, uh, to contact me, to contact us. I manage the Instagram account myself. So if you message me, I'll, I'll respond generally in a day or so. Uh, and then, you know, our website has the whole story, the details, a link to how you can get our beer in the U S through, uh, our partners, Bavana. So they, they handle all of our, our production and uh, distribution and kind of the, the mail to order in the U S and then uh, if you're international and you're interested, just reach us, reach out to us. As I said, if there's a way, we'll, we'll find it. Yeah, cool. Um, and actually, it was uh, Aaron Gore at, at Bavana that uh, linked me to you. So uh, I will, I'll see if I can, I'd love to taste some of the beers that are, that are coming out of the U.S., but heading to yeah. uh, like specifically designed for Abu Dhabi. Um, but that's, that's a great way to do it. L- last thing before we sign off, is there anything you want to say, any calls to action or words of wisdom? No, I mean, I think it's a great conversation. Thank you very much for having me. It's um, it, it's always, you know, fun to be able to talk to people who, who know about beer and beer culture and be able to have this conversation. Um, I guess the one thing I would say is just, um, because I'm going to assume, again, I don't want to make assumptions, but I'm going to assume most of your audience is American. Uh, it's it, it's equally Western, international. It's mostly West, American, Western. but okay. it, it is international. So I'm very I proud would of just that. say... Um, people need to be weary when they make assumptions about other cultures when it comes to, to beer and drinking, right? Like, so there's, there's a lot of questions, uh, a lot of comments that we receive. Uh, and I know there's other breweries in the, in the region um, that receive them uh, that are really ignorant about just like, Oh, you can't drink there. Why would you ever do this? It's, you know, it's not uh, in with the religion, but there's a religion, there's a culture, there's a people, there's all these different things. Um, so just, just be curious, just ask questions. And then, um, I think together we'll all make better beer. But to me, that's been the biggest thing we've noticed, particularly because there was a time we were hiring a new brewer and we put it out where we were, who we are, where we sold. And then just the vitriol that came back online wow. about just the region itself, like, which didn't really happen. And I was like, hey, we're making beer from the least. Like, and it was just instant. So it would be, um, for me, it would just be like, hey, look, it is a, it is a global phenomenon. It's the oldest beverage. Uh, started in the middle east so we're just bringing it back to where it started you know what i mean so let's um let's just be less angry and have a pint together that to me is it's a better way to do it that is a great way to sign off uh chad thank you so much for coming on to the good beer matters podcast thank you for sharing your story thank you for doing the work uh that you're doing where you're doing it um uh, this, this is a perfect example of why I set out to do my quote unquote virtual tour around the world, just to understand how people are enjoying beer, connecting with each other's through beer, through food. And, 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 and it sounds like this is the perfect place that has it, you know, is doing it right as, as much as oh, I, I can. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, we do our best. <laughs> All right. Hey, thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. 
If beer is a representation of culture, can we rely on beer to be the ambassador between cultures? Can the fusion of flavors guide our way as we find a peaceful and joy-filled existence? This may be too much to ask of a beer, but I'm grateful for breweries like Side Hustle for giving us hope. In the next episode, we go to Latin America to hear a story about some buddies and a surf trip that inspired a new beer experience. I'm on a virtual tour of the craft and culture of beer around the globe. I've put Good Beer Matters on video so I can take you along for the ride. If you know of a person, a place, or a beer story that needs to be told, let me know. Meanwhile, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let your world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.